All right, good morning, everybody. Mike Courtney here, Mass Mutual, Eastern Pennsylvania, Brokerage Director. And I'm joined by my good friend and counterpart, Steve Parisi, President and CEO of IBC Global. And we're here for a very exciting, very intriguing case study Wednesday. Um, so Steve and I, uh, you know, obviously we, we do a little prep before these these meetings. So we've got a real interesting case study for you that's going to touch on, um, you know, what I would call best practices when dealing with um, an existing client, enforced business, when it's time for annual review or semi-annual review, whatever your process is, how are you communicating with the client? How deep are you digging into complex issues? Um, Steve's got a case that we're going to talk about that uh, was pretty intricate and pretty complicated. And, um, you know, he was able to win the day with, uh, with some heavy digging. So without further ado, Steve, maybe you want to give us a little bit of background about this scenario? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the intro, as always, my friend. Yeah, so um, this was a case working with an individual who is in his mid-50s today, uh, he's looking at a whole life insurance policy. He's approved. He's going to start one. Um, but before he started the policy, he brought up uh, that he had an old variable universal life insurance policy that was actually issued when I was about eight years old, <laughs> mid-90s, right? So I was not in insurance, in insurance at that point in time. Um, but with that variable universal life insurance policy, um, it had some ni nice features to it. But he asked, hey, with this product, what I asked my existing agent was this question. I've got an old policy here. Can I add more money to the VUL? Because it's a product that's already over the initial expenses. It's based on my age of 30 at the time. Can I shove more money into it to grow the cash value, reap the tax benefits, everything as to the reason why I even consider cash value life insurance? And last year he did that. He went through underwriting to do that. He had to do that with that old contract and he was able to make a big non-MEC catch-up payment. You've got different tax terms. It's not always MEC, it is, but there were tax terms with UL, VULs and whole life. But I'll just use MEC for this example. Um, so he did last year. He wanted to do it again this year, but he cannot. And the minimum premium is something like 500, 500 bucks a year, 560 bucks a year. So it's small and he wanted to dump in six figures into it. So that's a, that's a big difference there. Right. Um, so he, he could not. So he's looking at it and saying, okay. What? He could not because it, it, it would result in some kind of, in a mech or? Correct. A okay. taxable event. Okay. Yeah. He, he did that last year, made a large non-mech catch-up payment. So paid a large sum of money into it. Um, he provided an in-force illustration that he was sent from the other agent that showed how much cash value he has in the policy right now and what things look like moving forward based on a fixed guaranteed rate that this product offers, which is actually a fixed account at 4%. Um, and that's all he wanted to see. He can elect other index funds, mutual funds, it's a variable account. So you've got more potential, but he says, keep it the fixed, that, that's what I want right now. Um, so he was provided an illustration with the fixed rate based on the company's current expenses and then also the guaranteed expenses if they decide to, to raise them. 
So it allowed us to see if we pick this fixed account or if he picks this fixed account with different expenses, what will the product actually produce? And he had asked about 1035 exchanges with his existing agent. Hey, could you remove this over into an IUL? He sent me an email. He says, I'm not even going to show you this because I didn't like the numbers at all and I'm not doing that. So he wasn't interested in that. Um, but to kind of get to, to where I'm, I'm aiming here, where I'm going with this, is we did look at, or at least we'll consider, we are considering options of a 1035 exchange into a new whole life insurance policy. But anytime you look at that, what I like to see is if I'm the prospect or if I'm the client, if we flip positions, just knowing what, what you and I know about insurance, what I would want to see is what does it look like if I don't if I don't roll it over? If I continue to pay money in on a guaranteed stand, basis, non-guaranteed basis, and then if I do roll it over, what does the new policy look like on both the guaranteed and non-guaranteed basis? So I can see everything with full transparency side by side. And it's not just a case where I can show you the non-guaranteed values and say, hey, look how much more value you'll have. It's a trap so many people fall into because the non-guarantees don't deliver. Like it, it ends up being something drastically different. So it's important to look at everything, whether you're going to show everything to the client that can be overwhelming, but just know what to look for and then ask yourself the honest question, if I'm him, would I still do this? Knowing that the guarantees might not look as, as attractive as I, I would think they would. Why didn't he like the 1035 exchange into the IUL? I mean, normally... My problem with talking to people about IUL is that I find that typically it looks great up and just doesn't, you know, I don't feel like it really performs that way at all. I think it's, you know. Yeah, he did not provide the illustration, but he did state um, that the policy never broke even, which is an indicator that he was just shown a 1035 exchange with a flat premium, likely no blending, just an all premium insurance product. And then the goal with that, from what he had communicated to me, was just income down the road. Okay. He was interested in seeing that cash value grow. He wanted to see some real accumulation there. Um, and he said it, it took, you know, I don't know, know if it even broke even, meaning he never got his money back. He always had less cash value than what he had paid into the product. So he wasn't, he wasn't interested in it for that reason. <clears throat> was this person that he was working with a, you know, existing insurance advisor to him or a new relationship uh, existing advisor that was able to provide the enforce illustrations to my knowledge okay mm -hmm. yeah but then you know kind of lost control of the case because i mean it sounds like not that you know that's kind of regular follow-up but it just sounds like the existing advisor didn't really dig too much deeper than that Correct. Because, and he did forward some of the emails and the advisor, I don't know him at all. He seems like a good guy. Um, but whenever I look at emails, because we train on this at our company, is when a prospect or client asks you a question, answer that question and provide additional information if necessary that helps support the answer to your question. Don't go start talking about some side option that you think they might like when it's never been discussed. And this, this stuff happens all the time. Um, and it can be a turnoff for a lot of people because they start to get the sense like, all right, you're, you're not answering my question 
or 1% of your email hit on my question. The other 99% was all this extra stuff. And I'm kind of like, what? Like the importance of staying focused and directly answering a question, even if the outcome, it's often fear. As agents, we think if I answer this question directly, the person might kind of freak out. And then all of a sudden, I've got to deal with that, that issue. Just, just do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, feel it, man. You just go through it and it'll be okay. Someone else will string them along and get the sale done. That, and then also it'll just result in more frustration. If you just address something head on, practice how you want to say it so it comes out tactfully and it doesn't, doesn't come out as word vomit, then you've got another issue. Yeah. Um, it'll always go fine, but we just have to be upfront in these situations and directly address the situation. The person won't be mad because the insurance product, it is what it is. Maybe they'll be disappointed because expectations were improperly set, but at least you're showing them it is what it is and can properly set expectations moving forward. If you don't, then like you said, someone else might point it out, but they're not gonna do it nicely. I, they, they should, but typically they'll make some comment to say, oh, your other guy never told you this? And that they're trying to put doubt in there to sever that relationship. So, so what was his ask by the time he got to you? Mm -hmm. Like, it sounds to me like by the time he got to you, he had been through, you know, the last couple of years of trying to revive this old VUL policy. Mm -hmm. He had already gotten squashed on adding significant dollars currently. And he had looked at some, um, you know, fairly conservative projections for that policy, looked at another option from an existing advisor, but maybe, you know, that would be kind of a turnoff to me too. Hey, can you help me with this? Sure. Here's something that I would, I would suggest. It's like, well, that's not really what I was, what I was asking for. Yeah. Um, and also people listening to this, the instant some people hear universal life, IUL or VUL, they'll immediately think that's trash. Do not roll anything over into a new product or get rid of the old one because statistically, a lot of universal life policies blow up. And that that verbiage right there is used so much in the industry, which is, I'll call it the lazy way out, right? So you don't have to actually dig into the details to see if the product will work, what if it's the 20%, it was properly designed and it'll work, be fruitful for the client. But I can just say most of them blow up and the client says, really? All right, let's 1035 exchange it. And now all of a sudden I've saved myself hours upon hours of research and work to see if it's really in their best interest to do it or not. Um, I think people get the idea in their head that if you use a term like blow up, it should be shocking enough for the client to say like, all right, I got to do whatever, you know, whatever this guy says. Yeah. I don't want anything to blow up. Yeah. That happens all the time. Like it, it, it's so, so much. I mean, there's um, a client we have, uh, he he has a good feel just on working with people. Um, he says that there's an old sales term to that uh, called FUD, F-U-D, which stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt, which <laughs> competitors will try and plant that in the minds of prospects instead of trying to prove yourself and your product to a potential client, you'll just try and scare them away from the other person by you know state, using opinions and stating them as facts, all kinds of games that go on. And that that's the world we live in. So I mean, complaining about it will do nothing. But the only way you can pierce through that 
is if you're factual. Right. Yeah. All right. So I asked you a question, but then I kept talking for five minutes. Um, so by the time he got to you, what was his ask? Yes. So he he originally asked for a whole life policy that was separate. And then with the 1035 exchange, he wanted to see if any options exist with it. What, what's the best overall option? Um, so I looked at it and did look at 1035 exchange scenarios into the whole life policy he was considering. Um, also, we're looking at a separate one now because the one he's considering, he wants to keep that separate. But um, what I did before just saying, yeah, we could roll it over and it will look good. Um, and on the non-guaranteed side, it'll look better than what you have. Before doing that, he sent his VUL illustration. And this policy was issued in 1996. He sent me an Inforce illustration, which was actually within the past month when it was run. Enforce illustrations and old policies with some insurance companies still look like they were produced in 1996, right. even though they were produced today. It's probably generated on an old system. Or, Correct. Yeah. So I looked at it and said, this thing is not visually appealing. I had to go through it to, to navigate everything. Uh, there were duplicate illustrations and everything. It's like, okay, let me just peel out the meat in this large illustration. And, and that's me in the business for a long time. So the first thing that, like as I progress through different steps, the first thing I'll think there is, okay, I had a hard time picking everything out quickly. Like it wasn't there in one second. How much longer is it gonna take someone who's not in the business to pick that out? They're not, I don't know what this is. It's like getting stereo instructions, trying to set up a new stereo. We throw them out. A lot of weird lingo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we just try and throw the instructions out and just set up the stereo and hope it works, right? <laughs> That's usually what happens. Yeah. So what I did there was say, okay, this has to be easy for him to understand and see if it's going to be in his best interest or not. So peeled out the relevant data, um, which was the guaranteed worst case scenario with the high expenses and then also the current expenses, both of that 4% fixed rate, which is what he had requested. And took it from the illustration, laid it out in simple in a simplistic manner. I can pull up a screen share here. Made it a little bit easier that he only wanted to see the fixed account. That's good. Correct. Yeah. Otherwise, you've got multiple assumptions. But here we go. So this is an in-force illustration that we received. His policy anniversary date is August 2022. So he's in year 26 right now. Right, so he's had this for quite some time. Now, we've got guaranteed and non-guaranteed, both assume that 4% fixed rate, it's just the guaranteed expenses compared to the current expenses, mm -hmm. just to, to give you, a, or to distinguish, distinguish those two. Here's the thing though, so I was looking at it and I don't have the payment history. What that Inforce illustration did provide, however, was the total cost basis. Not all of them do, but that was very helpful. So if you're a client, what typically do you want to know as far as, hey, if I've got X amount of dollars in cash value, is that good or bad? Like, what did I earn on it? Right. How much did I pay in? So our cost basis is the total dollar amount that I've paid into the policy since starting that product. So he started when I was in grade school. <laughs> he was 30 at the time and kept funding it. We can... 
create, we can backtrack and look at the actual year to year history. We need the annual statements each year to do that. Um, but just in, in summary, here's what where he's at. Unless my math's off, that looks like about that 562, right? So that's so that's the annual premium that's due right now. But he made a large yeah. catch up payment last year too. So he's overfunded the product to a degree. Right. So there's your cost basis. 136, another five hundred and sixty dollars. Twenty twenty two. It'll be this August, I believe. One thirty six and change paid into the product. This is peeled from the Enforce illustration. There's your cash value. One twenty eight and change. So 27 years into it, and you've got less than what you paid in. Now, it is beginning to perform, right? So this is worst, worst case scenario on the left. Just keeping that fixed account at 4% forever. This is the annual internal rate of return. So not the average. The average will be just over 0% at year 30 when he breaks even. But from an annual standpoint, worst case scenario, there you go. Same thing on the right. When we take a look at the non-guaranteed values, which is just the same 4% with the current expenses, same payments, just the minimum and nothing thereafter. And there we go. And he can link it to other funds in the market too, because it is a variable product. He's got the options there. So it can do quite well. And at the day of shooting this video, the market for the past several weeks now has taken a, a beating. So he might want to keep it and say, hey, I might wait for things to bottom out and then right. flip it back in. Who knows? Right. It's an option tool. Um, but first things first, before looking at a 1035 exchange option, we want to lay out exactly what he has now, what it's done, and what it looks like moving forward. This way, he's got full transparency because most universal life products will blow up, right? Meaning the cash values will go negative and I won't have anything left. Do we see this happen even in the worst case scenario? No. Right. So it's important just to make sure that that's, that's well understood from the consumer's end. Like here's what you have right now based on your age of 30 when you first started the policy. Talking a lot here. Um, any questions on any of this? No, no. So first we looked at that, and then we looked at some 1035 exchange scenarios. How long did this take you? A while. Um, a couple of hours. Yeah, something like that. I didn't. I didn't time it. Sometimes I do. As weird as that might sound, um, but I am not quite sure how long it took. It took a while because you can see. Here we looked at a couple of different products. He had gone with Penn actually, so he was he came from a referral source, knowing what knew, knowing what he wanted beforehand. For the 1035 exchange, now he's looking at um, Mass and Guardian. We're we're looking at underwriting and such right now. But what we looked at is based on the Penn policy he was approved approved for at Standard Non-Smoker. I wanted to see what would it look like. Let me do this actually. Wait, the pen policy was the IUL or the pen policy was just how it was approved? Whole life. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Whole life. His um, VUL 
was with um, Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah. yeah. Right. So here was the pen policy, the approval, likes the backdating option. All right. And there's what he wanted to do from a funding standpoint. Okay. So we've got that laid out. Now, what I also want to look at here. Where is 1035 it? exchange, right? Correct. So that's the 1035 exchange. But let me do this. I may have not laid out the pen guaranteed values, or I've got that on a different spreadsheet, so you can tell it. <laughs> I've got a lot here, um, but that's okay. So let me do this. Okay, we do have it. Perfect. So here's the pen policy on the left. Then here's the Minnesota life policy. And these are the guaranteed values. So purpose of this was to say, okay, worst case scenario with the new whole life you're considering and your Minnesota life, if you just keep it as is and run everything at the worst, worst case scenario, here's your combined values over here. All right, so paying in the 140 plus the 562 bucks into that Minnesota life policy, there's that value over time. And then, did, and then did the same thing based on the non-guaranteed values. Pen illustration, Minnesota life, right? Based on the current dividend rate. And then the Minnesota life VUL illustration. So what that allows us to do is- So wait, let me kind of- Yeah. I'm assuming then after this kind of analysis, if I'm looking at this as a consumer, I'm going to say, now, if I look at something that breaks down 1035 exchange, where the guaranteed and non-guaranteed values are better than this combined values, got it. then that's the direction. That's like no brainer direction I'm going. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. And the guarantees is typically with 1035 exchange scenarios, what people, meaning an agent recommending a 1035 exchange does not want to show because those will not look as favorable as the uh, non-guaranteed rollover. Right. But but like show that stuff. Boy, I would not want to find out after the fact um, right. as a client. So combined values, when we see those columns there, that just combines the Minnesota life and the pen policy that he's considering all values lumped together. All right. And when I present this, we do it in a very organized fashion to the client because it can be overwhelming. Right. So guaranteed values, combined values, Penn and Minnesota. Guaranteed. Yep. I got it. Yep. So there we go. If I just take the new whole life and keep that policy, that's everything combined. Mm -hmm compared to just rolling it all into a new policy. So there's the current cash value and just paying 140 per year. Cash value difference. This so shows or represents how much more or less I have with everything consolidated into one policy compared to the combined values. So right off the bat, with a 1035 exchange, I will take a hit Less cash, 
little more death benefit. Little more death benefit with the term rider we had to blend to prevent the mech from occurring. His goal is cash accumulation. Yeah. So cash, about a $14,000 difference. And you'll notice with that term rider, the death benefits more with the new policy. Than drops. For first, yeah, for the first seven years, than it drops. Yeah. Yep. But when we look at the guarantees, does the new 1035 exchange ever produce more cash value or more death benefit, aside from the first 10 years, mm -hmm. than keeping what he has already? No. Nope. When we look at the non-guarantees, different story. Dividend values, combined values on the left, same thing. Out of the gates for about eight years, made sense to keep what I had, the combined values. Mm -hmm. Moving forward, it's in my best interest. We're also assuming just keeping that 4% fixed account forever. There's other variables in here too, discussion points to bring the awareness, not just to say, ah, this one's better and move forward. Like, Had he been in the fixed account the whole ride with the VUL or was he? I gotta ask him that. Mm -hmm. I gotta ask him that. He is looking to get out of it just from our calls. Um, you know, this, this provided a nice side-by-side -side analysis to see yeah, if yeah. it's truly in his best interest. Um, what he's looking at at this point is, hey, the pen policy that I was recommended, I'm gonna go with that. And then I'd like to look at a separate whole life policy um, with one of the major mutuals. He would like to have one of those in his portfolio and let's consider the 1035 exchange with that. So that's where we're at right now. I'm just kind of shopping the case from a, an underwriting standpoint, we're beginning that, but that's, that's the present that's the present right now where we're at. Um, you know, it's interesting because as you're laying all this out, I mean, this very clearly is, um, you know, I think probably the best way to go about this kind of sales process, but I doubt that very many people uh, from, a, from a, an advisor perspective would do this. You would run an illustration, you would try and set up a meeting, you would try to talk through pros and cons. I mean, even like very detailed and, and diligent people um, might not go through this level of effort or um, breakdown of the illustrations. Mm -hmm. But um, I would say, I mean, without, you know, this is the first I'm hearing of this, but I would say clearly won you the case. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it helped. Um, I would say that, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, on that point, like, let me ask this question. If we just set up a call or let's say that just this podcast where we went through, through this, you're going to retain this more than people who are not in the business, but how much of that chart we just went through, will you remember 24 hours from now? Remember yeah. almost none. Gotcha. And if you have the chart, right? So if I've emailed it to you or give you a printout. I think out, I would remember you showed me something in a way yeah. that helped me think that this was the direction I wanted to go in, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't be able to if, recall any of that. If your CPA, your cousin who's a financial whiz asked you about it or say your dad did who really knows the stuff with business and finance, 
I'd be like, I just like the way this guy Steve laid everything out. Gotcha. Like you're getting in. You know, if it was my dad, like, oh, he's he's rolling you, man, because he doesn't know the situation. <laughs> that's what he would say. So, like, that's the other part of the game there. Um, presenting it in a manner where you understand the moment's important, but knowing that this stuff is very, very difficult to to truly grasp. What we did there, or, or what I did, was break that up into two different recordings, so they're not in a big hour, half an hour, hour-long recording, break it up into bite-sized pieces, sent it to him, and anytime he needs to review it again now, he can. Well, I think the something the Excel breakdown is key, too, because it, it gives you, yeah, I'm not going to, as a client, I'm not going to recall all that, but it does give me something in writing, in an email that I can go back to at any time and say, right, this is... And it's different than looking through an illustration because there, it's just there's yes. so much garbage and noise. Um, and I think most clients, most meaning 95 plus percent, are going to open up an illustration on their laptop and look at a PDF and just say, I, I don't know what any of this is, you know. Yeah. Um, but you can pretty quickly open up something like that and say, all right, now I remember what we were talking about here mm -hmm. to a certain extent. Yeah, big time. I mean, that's it because there, there's so much information. So laying it all out in a manner where it's smooth, you can progress one checkpoint to the next um, if you're presenting it and then also presenting it in a way where it's very easy for the client to understand and remember if you can give them that instruction manual, recordings have worked well for us um, so they can go back and refer to it as much as possible. Gotta know your stuff though. If you if you put something that's wrong, never guess and never guess ever. But if you guess on a recording <laughs> and someone else sees that and you've got wrong information there, it's like proof that you don't know what you're talking about. So, <laughs> you know what's interesting is I've noticed you you really steer away from um, you know if I'm talking to a broker who promotes IUL heavily and. I'm trying to develop a relationship where he or she will add base mutual whole life to their offerings, but they're just so gung-ho IUL. I've got a bunch of talking points, but you really use a lot more, you let raw data speak for itself more than touchy-feely talking points. You, yeah. I mean, when dealing with people's money, there's so much back and forth and pull on emotions in the industry, scare tactics with with silly things. Right. We see people try and scare people about using a, a one year term rider on a whole life insurance policy. Like, Look at these costs, how they go up. I'm like, yeah, they do go up. But also you can just remove the term rider or here's how it works and you add more funds. So transparency speaks to that. And what it helps is when people have tried to use that stuff, I put myself in that position. If I'm the consumer and they and someone's trying to scare me, I'm like, I've got the data right here. Like I've got the spec sheet. Here's the price, right? Like it, it is what it is. Um, as opposed to some guy or girl trying to scare me or influence me to go the direction they want. It's like, no, 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 no. Just be, be upfront. And, and the only way to do that um, in today's world is really with, facts and transparency, because when I'm not there, they can fall back on that. And when someone tries to refute it, it's like, okay, show it, 
And the only way to do that as a competitor is if you're going to sit down and do the same thing. And frankly, most people won't do that every yeah, single time. Or a lot of times they, they can't. Yeah. Um, not even they can't that they're not, they don't have it's ability. It's they're, they're not able to get that kind of uh, positive detail out of their scenario. And do it every single time. Like that, that's the other thing too. Um, right. Yeah. And I have fun with it. Like when we're up against a, com- a comp- competitor in those kind of cases, what I'll do if it's a big case is there's times like, okay, we saw that they're talking to a competitor. Let's um give them a presentation like they're sitting in the conference room. So we'll do it out in the studio and I'll start off like we want to give you this presentation as if we're in a meeting, right? Going to the whiteboard and everything and then right. send it to a guy who lives in Texas or, or Florida or wherever. Um, just to add that additional touch, it's like, oh my goodness, like all this extra work. It's like, yeah. sleep? Um, like, yeah, we sleep. We just have a team that helps us so we can condense our time. Well, and if you're, if this is your process for every case, every client, every scenario, even though a lot of what you're doing is very labor intensive and time consuming, you're in a routine where you're doing this stuff all yeah. the time. So it does become streamlined to some extent. Yeah. I mean, you guys work incredibly hard, but um, it's different if like every once in a while you're like, all right, we're going to roll out the red carpet for this guy. Well, somebody's got to go find the red carpet that we <laughs> haven't used in three weeks. And, you know, it, yeah. it's different. It's it's much different. Then it's going to take a long time and you get frustrated and say, forget it. Let's just call him. <laughs> Well, this was really great, Steve. Uh, good luck wrapping up the rest of that case. And next time I want to talk to you about something similar, but a little bit different, which is, um, you know, kind of maximizing your time, but also maximizing your touch with um, enforced clients. Yeah. And when it comes time for that annual review or when questions come up and it's something that we've talked about before, but, and it, and it might be a little bit similar to this conversation, Um but curious to see how you and your team handle enforced clients and relationship management while also not, you know, or finding time to sleep and yeah. talk to your families. Got it. We'll do. That'll be fun. Thank you. All right. Sounds good. Have a great day. You as well. Thanks, Bye, everybody. Enjoy.